0: You're listening to a message from The Church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Morning again. It's good to be back with you. I always hate messing like last week and appreciate Tony and the job he does. So, Uh, yeah. Old reliable Tony. Where'd he go? He disappeared on me. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. Old reliable. Better than useless, I guess. (laughs) Some of you'll know that joke. It's okay. Brady's distracted, so he didn't get it. Brady's deacon ordination. I. People understood that they thought I was calling him useless, but I was referring to humanity in general. So Brady's useless. Anyway, um, but here we are in chapter 14 of Mark. <clears throat> Got two more, a couple more chapters after this. And um, hope your discussions in small groups have been productive. Hope you're in a small group and enjoying that. Questions are always out there on the table to help you prepare for that. Um, our our group in Thornhill, uh, the conversations have been interesting. Not sure what else, but they're interesting. That's for sure. Um, it's a wonderful and unique group. I guess all of them are. But but I, the thing I like most about the group is having time to get to know new people and get to know their lives and where they're at spiritually and those kind of things and try to encourage and help each other. I love the church community and our community of Granger County. uh, And I'd encourage you just to get in a small group and get to know some folks as well. Okay, I know Nikki just prayed, but I'd like to pray and then we'll roll right on through. Father, thank you for letting us be here this morning. I just ask for your help today and sharing what you have helped, helped me to see in my studies. And I just pray that we would grow in our faith this morning, that we'd hear the words that you are speaking to us. We're covering a lot of your word today, and just pray you would speak above all else, that your Holy Spirit would reveal things to us and help us to grow in our relationship with you. May we mature as believers. May anyone here who is is not on that journey and has not taken that step with you just see how good you are this morning and how much you love them and what you offer them. So we thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, so we, last week we saw Mary pouring out the ex- well, not last week, week before last. Sorry if I say last week; it's the last week I was here. Um, saw Mary pouring out the expensive uh, vial or flask, however it explains it in your uh, translation, the oil of nard or spikenard, depending on how that says it in your your Bible. <clears throat> Nard perfume over Jesus's head, and the argument ensued. We saw that where it was argued over, it was too expensive to do that with, but yet Jesus is worthy of so much more. And then we read about Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper and him explaining some things to them, the last Passover for Jesus, and he was telling them that one of them would betray him. And they're all like, Who is it? Is it me? It's not me. I wouldn't do that, you know, and all that stuff. And so we looked at all that. Now we get to Mark 14, verse 27, and this is really going to frighten you, okay? We're going to cover verse 27 through verse 72. That's a lot of verses, right? Okay? You're like, so that means you're not going to comment as much, right, Marty? I'm a preacher. It's in my blood. Sorry. It's it's how it happens. But before we start, uh, there's an old Jewish proverb that says, the devil comes to us in our darkest hour but we don't have to let him in, okay? I think Martin Luther's made some comment about um, can't keep the birds from flying around your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest. It's kind of the same thing. Um, so in this section of Scripture we're about to read is is full of darkness. Like it's just physically, literally it's dark. There's a lot of dark things going on behind the scenes. The spiritual warfare is, is heightened, I believe. And it's amazing to think Judas uh, himself is not following the will of God, but under the deception of his heart and mind. And yet, God's will is being accomplished in this night that we're going to read about. So however you navigate all that God's sovereignty choice, it's, it's a fun circle to talk about, right? And how that goes round and round. But in Luke 4, when Jesus is out in the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days and the devil comes to him, if you remember that, uh, he's in a state of physical weakness. I mean, he's fully human, but fully God. So he's, he does feel the physical pains and the, the problems that come along with, uh, having not ate for a while. And so, He's in a weakened state physically, and the devil tries to take advantage of his weakened state and to tempt Jesus. And so, after that happens, it's interesting. When you read in, in, in verse 13 of Luke 4, it says, When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Isn't that interesting? The devil strategizes. I mean, he's he's smart. He's, he's not going to come to you uh, and try to do something he de- he's, doesn't think will work. Like, there's, there's literally, you know, if you pay attention throughout the Gospels, you'll see opportune times when Satan interjects and tries again. Like, you'll notice it. Like, when, when Jesus asked the disciples, he said, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? He said no who do you say that I am and Peter answers correctly if you remember he says you're the son of the living god you're the you're the Messiah you're him right Peter answers correctly and Jesus like blesses like you're that's absolutely correct blessed are you and you you didn't get that on your own the holy you know god revealed that to you and so it's amazing like that's correct and then Jesus starts talking about you know I'm going to be turned over to the chief priests and I'm going to be killed, but then I'll rise on the third day. And and Peter turns around and is like, wait a minute. That can't happen. No, 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 no. That's that's not the way it is. He had just said the correct thing, right? Peter went from voicing the truth, you know, Peter into and, and rebuking Jesus. It says he literally rebukes Jesus for saying that. So then Jesus looks at Peter and says what? Get behind me, Satan. He just said, you're absolutely right, God revealed that to you, and then turned around and said, get behind me, Satan, okay? Peter went from voicing the truth of who Jesus was to voicing the will of Satan. Like, if if it was God's plan to defeat death by putting Jesus on the cross to bring forgiveness to mankind, trying to tempt Jesus in the wilderness was trying to stop Jesus from going through with with the plan. I've got to find times I I can stop this plan, the Father's plan. So when he says to Peter, um, get behind me, Satan. It's as if it, it's as if Jesus is, is literally saying to him, I recognize that voice. Like I know where that's coming from. And it's the counsel of Satan. It was an opportune time for the devil to try to interject that. So wh- what we're about to read is another opportune time when Jesus is arrested in the garden. And in the parallel account in Luke 23, it's always good when you're going through the Gospels and there's, there's parallel stories. Remember I've shown you before a, a book I use called A Harmony of the Gospels, and it just lays out all those, the different, the four Gospels on one page and shows where they're the same and it's the same story and where it's different stuff. Uh, and same story but may have different information. It just, it lays it out beautifully. There's different versions of that. You just have to kind of look through two or three different kinds and see which layout you like better because they all lay them out a little different as far as presentation-wise, information's the same. So in the parallel account in Luke 23, 52 and 53 says, Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come to, against him. So here they are coming to arrest him in the garden, okay? And, and I'm, we're going to go back and go through this, but I want you to see this opportune time and this darkness. Had come against him. Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. He's, he's saying this is an opportune time that Satan has taken to convince you of this and you fell right into it. So you didn't see this before, you didn't treat me that way before, but now in this cloud of darkness, in this push that Satan is making, you're being deceived and you're just going right along with it. So God is, but, but yet, it's beautiful because God is so much smarter, so much greater, and he's using the influence of Satan over them to accomplish his purpose. And again, you can talk that in circles. But he says they're, they're cooperating with the power of darkness here. Satan taking advantage of them, keeping them from being on God's side. Now, we left off at verse 26 last time, and I, when I was with you, and I said it, they went out on the Mount of Olives after the Passover meal, and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? And so the Garden of Gethsemane is a really interesting... Place. If, if I'd ever go over to Jerusalem, it's one of the places I would want to go for sure is the Garden of Gethsemane because it was an important place. And I would love to just sit under a tree over there and pray and have some time to spend in the garden. I just think that would be wonderful. Um, the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, today looks about like it did back then the, the paths may have been added um some of that's a little blurry but it's basically down from the temple um there's a, just it's just a bunch of trees with open space underneath it there's a wall around it now that wasn't there then and a gate because it's privately owned today but they still let people go in you know you can like I don't know if there's tours or whatever but you can pay to go in and see it and they make money that way but they still harvest the olives from the trees and and still produce olive oil and that stuff out of the garden of Gethsemane even today. It's been there that long and it's it's still there today pretty much in its original state. Um, but it's on the Mount of Olives. From where Jesus was, he would have been on the northwest side of Jerusalem and Went outside the city walls and around the temple, and through the uh, up onto the Mount of Olives and went through the Kidron Valley. And historians tell us there was a little brook at the bottom of the Kidron Valley. It was the that they that went through the valley and it was a stream or a brook trickling through the valley, the Kidron Brook, Kidron Creek, whatever. That's what we'd call it, Ranger County. It's the Kidron Creek over in Kidron Valley. Um, now. Think about this. The stream, of course, you know, there were springs and uh, the wet weather would have been filling the stream, but you got to imagine also, if you remember back to what we talked about last time I was here, this is the Passover and there's all these sacrifices going on. So there, you've got, if I remember correctly, there's like 256,000 lambs being slain during this time for all these people that had gathered in for the Passover. And basically in the temple there was a conduit that they had made and went out and it goes out the back of the temple into the Kidron Valley from the sacrifices to basically take all that blood out of the temple and away from the city. And so that's all emptying into this stream. All of that blood of those lambs would be flowing through the Kidron Valley in that stream. The stream that Jesus that night would have walked and stepped over was full of the, the blood of those lambs that were being slain in the temple on his way to the garden. The Lamb of God, Jesus knowing within hours I'll be arrested and this will start to take place, he would be slain once for all, passes over that blood of those sacrificed lambs to his death. And it's just amazing for me to think about as this process is taking place, just this I think there's imagery and symbolism in, in these in these moments that it's just not accident, and it just further just validates to me that how beautiful the word is and its truth and it's because the, uh, all these events and these things that take place, you just can't you can't put that together, you can't make that happen, you know kind of thing and it's it's amazing to me to think about knowing he would overcome death. And they would no longer have to sacrifice those lambs because he was going to be that lamb. He passes over that stream on his way to the garden to be arrested. They will no longer need those sacrifices of those lambs because of his death and resurrection. I think it's beautiful. And here Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like I said, all this imagery throughout Scripture, like the lamb's blood in the stream. Think about, too, the, the, the significance of the garden itself, that he's here in a garden. Um, where did it all begin? Creation, Adam and Eve, it all begins in the Garden of Eden. So you have this garden where everything is created in the beginning, where the fall of man happens, where the first Adam is, right? And, And so then all of human history will be finalized or reach its pinnacle, where in Revelation 22 it says in the, Garden city of, of the new Jerusalem, right? So beginning and end in these the garden city and the garden of Eden, and this very important moment in the redemptive history of mankind. Here we find this moment of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the very you know, first Garden of Eden with the first Adam, where Adam ran from God. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, the last Adam, as Scripture describes him, presents himself to God for his will to be done. So just beautiful imagery and and things going on throughout these scriptures. So Mark 14, verse 27 says, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. He's quoting Zechariah right there. Okay. Okay. So this 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 is this part of the Scripture is amazing. And I think about, and it's something i put in there for you to talk about in, in your small groups, but thinking about what would have happened had they not been scattered? What would have happened if, if, if this wasn't a part of it? What would have happened to those guys? What How things would have changed and started the early church? There's just so many variables that you go, God in his all-powerful, all-knowing, says this is just something, this is my providential will, that the church will be started, so therefore these things need to happen. Okay. So it's amazing to me when you think about all the implications of this. Okay. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. His self-confidence, you know, Peter with the mouth, steps up and is like, no way, I'm not doing that. It's one of those moments of be careful you stand lest you fall kind of thing, and his confidence. It's like, you know, this is Jesus saying, yeah, you will, and, and yet all your confidence should be in him and what he says and know that he's telling the truth, but to know there is a redemptive part of this here too because it, actually, and we'll read it in a little bit, in, in one of the other accounts, Jesus not only says you'll fall away, but <laughs> tells in Peter don't worry about it, because you're going to be restored, So, that, and, and I want you to strengthen the brethren, okay? So he's like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen, but. So Peter says to him, Not, no, even if everybody else does, I want, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before the rooster crows twice, and that makes me nervous just to read this, because the last time I quoted that, I think was during a Lord's Supper or something, and Derek was here, and his as soon as I said that, his phone rang and he had said it to a rooster crowing and it it was like not planned at all. It was really strange. But anyway, so I get now when I read that scripture, I get nervous. I'm like okay, we made it. Okay. Before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. Okay. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all all were saying the same thing, also, because Peter's like the spoke. He's like a leader. Peter is this very strong, very outspoken leader, and you can tell because of the way this happens all the time. There's times when Peter speaks up, and everybody's like, "Yeah, me too. I'm with him." Like what he said. That was good. Right. So Jesus saying, "You will all be scattered," will fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah. They will run away from Jesus when he dies, but then Jesus comes back after them when he is raised from the dead. Mark 14, verse 32. They came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. Now, notice he doesn't tell them to pray, not yet. Okay, He just says sit here and watch. Took Peter, James, and John on a little further in with him. You remember the, inner, the, the circle, and then he's got this inner circle. There's the 12, but then there's all these disciples that were following him, and then there was the 12, and then there's the three, right? Takes them on in a little further. Doesn't tell anyone else to pray. Might have been a good thing for them to do if they would have been doing that while they were there, but wasn't their instructions at that point. Jesus was going to pray, and he just wanted these guys to be with him. Not doing anything for him, just being with him. You you ever do that? You ever just sit with Jesus? It's a hard thing for us to do, right, in our culture and the way things are today, and our mind won't let us just sit and do that, okay? Our minds won't let us sit still long enough just just to sit there and just just to have moments. That's why I love going to my parents' farm, going up on the hill and just walking. You know, it's a place where I can talk out loud to God and people aren't around to think I'm crazy, which you may now do that. Um, but just just to have those moments, even of just sitting up there on the hillside and just saying, Jesus, it's just so good to be with you and I just want to sit here and enjoy what you've made and uh, and just enjoy the that presence and just, being with him, not asking for anything, not not busy doing something for him, but just being with him. We're good at doing things for Jesus, not real good at just being with him. Even if it's during that time when you have your early morning Bible reading and prayer and that kind of thing goes on. Uh, if you're doing that, I hope you do something like that at some point in the day you have a moment in that that you just sit and just be with him you know we often think i don't have enough time i've got my 15 minutes to do my bible study my prayer. so i got to get like i got to read as much as i can and then okay and then i pray through all these things and then carry on and you never really just stop and go man jesus i love you and i'm so glad i get to have this time with you this morning i just want to rest in that for a moment right just sit sometimes, don't want anything, just want you to know I love you, it's great being with you, thankful to have this moment, enjoy who you are. So that's, that's that thing about just sitting and being with Jesus. But here we are in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know what Gethsemane means? Some of you do, right? Gethsemane, it's, a, it's, a, it's two words, one word that means olive, and the other word that means crush or press, you could say, but the literal translation is crush. And it simply refers to the place of the olive press because obviously there's olive trees. It's where they make olive oil. The real money, You can, I mean you can eat olives and they, I'm sure they sold some of those and some of those th- things happened. But the main deal of these olive trees and, and for here even today is the real value of the olives is in their crushing to make olive oil. You get a lot more money out of the olive oil. And, and so... Crushing the olives to make olive oil. And so to think about and the parallel to what Jesus is about to go through, and here he is in this garden of olive crushing. and you think about oil throughout scripture, it's often has is a symbol, like anointing someone with oil, of the is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So that all this imagery going on, symbolism, the Holy Spirit. In scripture, in Jesus, what did he say? when He he said, when I leave, when I leave this place, I will send a comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit to you, right? "To, To indwell individual believers. But before that, when you think about the imagery of the oil and the olive oil and the crushing, Jesus had to be crushed and sacrificed before ascending so that the oil, the Holy Spirit, could flow back to us, okay? Before the oil flows, the olive has to be crushed. Isaiah 53 says what? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Talks about the crushing of Jesus. Jesus crushed for us. And what's amazing is as we follow Jesus, take up your cross and follow him, there's oftentimes in our lives too, it's going to come. We're going to have to go through some crushing for God to get us where he wants us as well. It's in our crushing that we will often lose grip of our pride, self-righteousness, self-reliance, and we become so much more dependent on God and more thankful for him and more devoted to him. So often God especially in those that preparations for something very special he wants you to do will take you through a time of crushing. Verse 34, and he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Notice Jesus doesn't take, and he didn't ever do this, he never takes a name it and claim it approach, Right? You know how you see some preachers preach that of that you need to do that. Just go before God and say, "God, in Jesus' name, I just claim this. I'm just proclaiming this right now. I just I command this to happen, right? And and I command that, and I say it, so it's going to happen. And then they then it doesn't happen. And what do people say to them? preachers? Will come back and say, "Well, you just didn't have enough faith." And that isn't a prayer of faith, that's a prayer of presumption, okay? Jesus himself didn't name it and claim it. The way I've, I didn't this, come up with this, okay, but I like this expression. The best way to describe it is, is that we should request and rest, not name and claim it, right? Father, this is what I want, this is what I'd like to, I'd like to see this happen. Would you heal this person? Would you... I'm asking for this. Nevertheless, whatever you want, I know is best and most important. And so I I rest in the fact that you're going to do what's best. But if there's a way for you to use this, do this, change this, I'm asking for that. That's our prayer of faith in God, not our prayer of faith in ourselves. God wants us, God does want us to ask, right? Right? Scripture says you, you have not because you ask not. It doesn't say you have not because you don't claim it with enough faith. It says you don't ask. He wants us to ask but then rest in his will. You, you know what helps us, and I think this is why Jesus was so easily able to do this. You know what helps us to be able to do that, to, to rest in God's will? To say, even even though I'm asking and I see this and I want this to happen, and if it doesn't happen, this is really going to hurt me emotionally, whatever it may be. Uh, What allows us to to submit ourselves to whatever your will is, God, whatever it, it is, I'm submitting to that. What allows us to do that is because we know the character and nature of the Father. And when we know that, when we know him that way, we can easily go, I trust him, and I know he sees what I don't see, and I know he knows what I don't know, and so therefore I know, however, his character, and I know he I can trust him. It's why Jesus could give himself over to the Father's will. He knew his character, he knew his nature, he knew his goodness, he knew his love, that he always did what is good. That's where we get messed up, is we start believing God isn't out for what's best, for me or others. God isn't out for what's best for His glory and my good. Something starts to convince us that that's not going to happen, that God's really not good. That's why we have to stay close to Him and realize His character and who He is, and when we lose sight of that, that's when we get off track. Verse 37, And He came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon... Are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for an hour? Now, Jesus gave Simon the name Peter, but here he's calling him Simon. If you do a study on this, it's pretty interesting um, to look at is he gave him the name Peter, but whenever Peter's not doing what he needs to be doing, he calls him Simon. He's like, that's the old guy. It's not the new guy that I gave the name Peter that I'm going to build the church on. That's the old guy, right? And So he calls him by his old name, his old self, and that, that interesting thing about for us. Um, anyway, keep it says keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. When, and so, so when you sit down to read your Bible or to pray, is it easy? Like do you find it to be like, man, I two hours has gone by. This is just like consistently. I know every. And for me, every now and then, I have those moments where it's just, it happens that way. It's like an hour later, two hours later, I'm like, wow, that just went by. Especially in our corporate prayer times, I can think back in the history of our church, there's times where it's been two or three hours and we're just like, that was amazing, right? You didn't want to stop, okay? So, but but is it on a regular basis easy for you to just sit down and read your Bible and pray and just, I find myself praying for two hours at a time, reading my Bible for an hour. I just do that so easily. No, that doesn't happen for us. What happens for us, if you're like me, you get easily distracted, right? You're reading and your mind goes, well, hey, I was supposed to do that yesterday. I need to make sure I do that today. Or I'm praying and my mind goes off and I start thinking about, you know, in my budget, when I was doing all that, I need to change that. I wonder what... Nikki's doing right now. She's at school wondering how the kids are doing. Like all, like your mind just bounces everywhere, right? It's hard. You get easily distracted. Your mind wanders. Or you get tired. It's hard to hold your eyes open, right? Hard to make yourself pray for an hour, read your Bible for an hour. Even Satan knows that it's powerful and profitable for you to pray and read your Bible. Okay? And he wants to take that away from you. So our flesh wars against us, our old nature. Simon over here, not Peter. Simon over here wars against us, our old nature. He's like, "Oh, you don't need that. Like, let's go do something else. Let's do something more fun. Let's do like that. That's not going to help you any. Like our flesh talks us into that. Satan tries to, and his the the forces of darkness try to, try to talk us into just going away from that. He wants to take us away from it. Your own flesh and Satan will drop in and distract you from it." So we have to be disciplined in this area so we can stay close to him and realize his character so we believe the right things and stay on track. So I I, I throw this in there because, like I said, walking around on the mountain up there at Mom and Dad's on the hillsides, uh, have moments where you pray out loud, okay? Because if, like, I'm talking to you right now and I'm talking out loud, it's hard for my mind to get distracted on something else. You You know, so so if I'm talking out loud to even Jesus it's and in, in walking around, it's, it, it's much harder to get distracted because I'm thinking about what I'm saying to him, and then there may be times where I pause. Have times where you pause, too, when you pray and have those moments alone with him, not just your mouth running all the time. We've got to listen for his voice, too, right? And that'll come through the word and through just that still, small voice inside. Okay? But... But have times where you where you pray out loud when you actually have a conversation with someone it's hard to wander, okay? And plus, you're listening to yourself, and there should be some truth in those prayers that you're speaking to yourself, okay? Verse 39, again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, don't blame them. It was very late. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Okay? The, the Christ followers were asleep and Satan was plotting. Happens to us too, right? While we sleep at the gates, while we sleep the gates of Hades, let's say it this way, because Jesus said even the gates of Hades would not prevail against us, and there's that connotation of in those times, town meetings happened at at the city gates, and so even Satan and his group are meeting at the city gates, having planning meetings against us, right? So while we sleep the gates of Hades are plotting, planning how Satan and his forces can get you off track. And, it, and it's it's amazing because as a pastor you see this over and over and over because people get in church, they get all fired up, and man, I'm excited about this. I love this place. It's so cool, and getting to know people, and let's go do this, and let's do that. And people are all fired up, and may carry on for months years even three four five years may have these spells and you're like man they're just they're just all in these things happen right and so satan and his group kind of gets together and they're like wow this this person's really on fire they're really active they're really happening see what can we do at work let's change something at work that'll make it harder for them to be more involved and fired up well let's change let's have some health stuff go on or let's Let's go after them in, in their ministry, in their family. Something. Let's let's figure out a way that we can complicate this thing, that so we can take them out of this deal, and even discourage them and get them not as excited about it, and kind of squash all this. How can we derail what's going on here? And and I know most of us we think, well, I'm I'm too insignificant to this whole deal to to be part of some demonic planning meeting like like really against me, like like anybody's worried about me, right? You go back, I mean, there's spiritual warfare that goes on about all of us because all of us do play an important role in the kingdom. Collectively, there's power in what each and every one of us does together. You read Daniel 10 and watch the spiritual warfare behind the scenes, right? That's the whole thing that's, that kind of lets you see that there's all this stuff going on behind the scenes or read Job when Satan comes before God and there's a whole conversation about Job and his worship of God and how much he really loves God. I believe it happens for each and every one of us that there is a battle over our worship and are we going to glorify God with our lives? It's happening all the time, especially the more fired up we get, the more Satan wants to come and go, I know they're doing really good, God, but they don't really love you. It's just because everything is going really good. Let me throw some things in there to mess them up and watch and see. They'll walk right off. They'll back off. They'll quit. They'll they'll get so distracted by job, family, life, health. All these things will will just will derail that whole thing. Watch what happens, right? Battle over your worship. And if you're not engaged, Satan doesn't worry about you too much. Things seem to get a little better, a little easier. Like, wow, you know, backing off from all that. Christian stuff I was doing and stuff for God that's kind of settled out my life I think that's the right way to go when I stand up here and explain that everybody goes that's right and then we walk out the door and the rest of this our lives this year will be what I just described right for the most part and we just let it happen sorry I'm, I'm talking to me too, okay? I'm talking to me too. But there's a battle over your worship, and if you're not engaged, Satan doesn't worry about you too much. But when you are, you got to fight. And prayer and Bible reading is where the battle is won. What better thing to do for Satan and his forces than to get you to drop your weapons? When you think about it, right? What are our weapons? You, get, you read about that, and Paul talks about armor of God and sword of the Bible being our sword, and it's he's trying to get us to drop our weapons and our armor. Prayer is what wins that spiritual battle, right? Verse 43, immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, came up up accompanied by a crowd with swords and and clubs. Okay, in your book, Bible, there may be in mine, there's that special accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs. It actually is talking about a detachment. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now, he was who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, "Whoever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Right? And we know that it's Peter who does that from John's account, okay? At the, this is stuff that's funny to me, okay? You th- where did Mark get his account of most things? Like what he's writing, if you remember when we talked about it at the very beginning of this book, the book of Mark, where did Mark get his information from? From Peter, right? So I think it's interesting when Mark describes this story, Peter's name's left out, right? I just think that's interesting. Peter's probably like, you don't have to put that in there. That that was me. That's a good part of the story, but just leave my name out, okay? And John's like, Peter did that, okay? Right? Anyway, sorry, just trying not to distract from the inspired that the Word of God's inspired, okay? It is. Um. So anyway, but what's interesting is I think. Mark was present for this moment. We'll talk about that in just a, in a second. We talked about the beginning. but There's more stuff I want to give you. And Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. And so John says in this account that they came with a detachment of when you go to the John account, it's a detachment of troops or a cohort is what the the word would be. 600 men is what a detachment would be. Or a cohort, if you go to that, the word sometimes translated there means a, a third of a detachment, a third of a cohort, or it'd be 200 men, right? Either way, 200 or 600, to come after Jesus, that's a lot of men. I think in our minds we often go, there's like 20 guys with him and a couple of chief priests. and No, there's a lot of people come up there to come get him. Okay? They, why would that be? Now, just think about it. Here's a guy who Judas has been going to him. The chief priest been trying to, the, they've been trying to do what they're doing. They've heard and and some of them seen like they've got witnesses that have seen and gone, he's done some crazy miracles. Like he heals people, leprosy, blind, see people that were lame walking like, This guy can casting out demons, like he has this power. Something's going on with this guy, and we don't understand, okay? So in their minds, he's preached going, this guy's, he's got some things going Plus, you think about crowds of people would follow him, like from going place to place. And so they're going, we don't know how many people's with this guy, and he's got some crazy power going on, or he's got some tricks up his sleeves. We're not sure what it is. So they're a little nervous. So you're going, okay, so it makes sense to couple hundred Roman guard with you right you know go up there and, and check this out their detachment of their troops and they've all heard miracles and and just this that this guy claims to be God himself you better check this out and so they go and here we see Peter with a sword defend Jesus probably out of zeal to not do what Jesus said he was going to do and scatter. Like he's like, well, I'll show Jesus. I ain't running. Pulls out that sword and tries to take this guy's head off. Okay, He cuts off the ear of of Malchus, this guy, not because he was simply trying to scare him. Remember, this guy used to be a fisherman. He's not a swordsman. I think, this is conjecture on my part, but I think he was really trying to hit him, like take his head off. And he's missed and hit his ear, cut his ear off, right? He wasn't aiming for his ear, right? This guy's a fisherman. So, so. and we do that often with our swords, don't we, right? Our, our sword of the Spirit, the Bible, we like to take it and try to chop other people up with it in Jesus' name, right? Argue our point just to be right and we leave people chopped up, ears knocked off, right? Not what we should be doing. That's a whole other sermon. Verse fifty-one. A young man was following him. Where this is just like this is the only place that's in here. Like, and you go, why did this get put in the book of Mark? Right. Young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. What is he doing out there? You're like, well, I know some people that just kind of like that. Okay. And they seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Right. Oh yes, they call him the Streak, right? Here he is, and it's it's like these are just very weird verses to throw in there, and it's only found in Mark. And as I stated when we started the series, the reason I believe it's in here is because it was Mark himself who was in who, who who this is that's there. Okay, even though we're not told, I believe the young man here is Mark. It's it's the young teenager John Mark. So why was he just wearing a sheet? Okay. I believe this is the case. This, like, when I studied this and I found this, this is so interesting. Okay. Okay. Jesus celebrated the Passover in an upper room in a house of Jerusalem. Doesn't tell us whose house. Okay. But put this together with the book of Acts where the early church would meet. Where did the early church meet a lot in the book of Acts? They would meet in a large upper room in Jerusalem. Okay. doesn't say there either. But then you get to Acts chapter 12 where Peter is arrested, right, and he gets put in jail, and all these people gather at this certain house to pray for him, and they're, like, praying and praying and praying, and he gets free, and he comes to the house, and he's outside knocking on the door, and they're in there praying, and they're like, at the door?" so they're scared. They go to the door, and they go, who is it? And he's like, it's Peter. And they're like, no, they're trying to trick us. And they, like, go back to praying. They won't let him in the door because they don't think it's him. And he's like, no. And then they let him in, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Like, we were praying, and here you are, right? So. Whose house was that? Okay. It's the house of Mary. That's the house he goes to. Okay? It's where they were praying. The mother of John, who was also called Mark, right? Where many were gathered together praying. So it was this large house, would have had an upper room. So many historians and theologians, it doesn't tell us for sure to put all this together, but when I put all this together, I go, This makes sense, okay? The house where Peter went, where the disciples often gathered, the early church, and where the last supper, where Jesus celebrated the Passover and his disciples, with his disciples in Jerusalem, the night of his betrayal happened, I believe, I think, at the house of Mary, at the house of John Mark, or Mark. Okay? So check this out. What happens that night? because how cuz think about this how in the world did they find did Judas find Jesus in the garden of gethsemane if Judas left the left that night before they went to the garden he left from the house to go betray Jesus he didn't know where he was how would he know where he is okay i believe Judas leaves John Mark's house toward the end of the passover meal Jesus then leaves with the disciples to go to the garden of gethsemane So Mary and the people in the house, he probably said, "We're going to go. I'm going to go pray in the garden, whatever." And he leaves. Right. Judas returns with the chief priests and detachment of of soldiers. Not at the garden. Where do they go first? Back to where the Passover meal was to to Mary's house. Because that's where Judas thinks he is. So he knocks on the door. He's out there. And so you got two to six hundred soldiers. Do you think it woke John Mark up? If that's his house, right? So what's he do? All these people leave to go after Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. So John Mark, Mark jumps up just with his sheet on and takes off following them. You see how that makes sense, okay? It's not in the Bible. It doesn't say that was John Mark and this where this. Okay, this just. But I love when you put pieces together. You can kind of go more than likely this is how this happened and why this is here in the story, right? I think there's part of me too that thinks sometimes God's sitting up there going. I'm just going to throw this in there just to let them think, like, just to just to play a little bit. Just go, I'm going to give them a piece of information see if they can put that together, right? Judas, so, so that's what happens is they end up there. That's how that verse got there is, I think, that's how you put it together, but nothing in Scripture that tells us definitively, okay? I just get excited about that stuff, and you go, Look how will that work? Because more than likely, that's, that's what happened. Okay, verse 53 they led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. Peter had followed him at a distance. That's an important statement right there. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the officers, with the enemy, and warning, warming himself at the fire. Now, there will not be one trial, just so you understand. I'll just throw this in there real quick and then we'll carry on and get through these verses. Not be one trial but six trials before Jesus goes to the cross. First three are religious, it's the Jews, the last three are secular it's the Romans the Roman court so first you have Annas the high priest who's really not the high priest anymore. He's been deposed, he's out but w- once a high priest always a high priest kind of thing and so he still had clout and there's a big reason why he had that clout because of who his sons were Um So here he is. It's Annas first, the high priest. He wants a hold of him first, gets him. Caiaphas, the son-in-law, acting high priest that year, gets him next. Okay. And then early in the morning, um, the Sanhedrin before, it's early the next morning before the Sanhedrin who had passed the verdict, but they still can't killed Jesus since the Romans had reserved now the right to capital punishment for them and their courts Jewish culture could no longer do that it was held for the Roman to declare that themselves they couldn't kill anybody so they petition Rome after their three trials they petition Rome to get the they've said we've found him guilty so we're petitioning your court because we want him killed and capital punishment to happen Okay, so they petition Rome they start the trial first is Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with it, right? So what's he do? He, he passes it on by him to Herod Antipas. And Herod is like, I'm not getting involved, and throws it back to Pilate, right? And so Pilate finally gives in to have Jesus killed under all that pressure. Now, Annas was the real pr- the real power behind all this and that made it happen from the beginning and kind of pushed it and got him first in in his court, Um kind of acting high priest even though he had been kind of retired but you don't ever really he's still the patriarch kind of thing. But his four sons had what they did is they ran and controlled the revenue for the temple. Hmm. Interesting. All those tables Jesus turned over in the temple was a system that was overseen and set up by Annas' four sons. So that's why Annas wants to get a hold of him. He, I want him first. I know I'm retired, but I'm bringing him in and I'm going to take care of him first Then I'll send him to the acting high priest, right? And so here here's a major point though for today after all that. Notice Peter followed from a distance in verse 54 and he was warming himself by the fire with the officers of the court. In, in this dark time, Peter finds himself physically and spiritually following from a distance. And, and this is where Jesus said this was going to happen. They're going to scatter. So the first step to getting there is back off and I'm going to follow from a distance. So in this, all this imagery we see in here, maybe today you're going through the same thing for whatever reason. You're following at a distance. At one time, your relationship with Jesus was more intimate. You were much closer to Him. Things were different. You were ready to do anything at church, be a part of whatever. You wanted more. You wanted more. You wanted more. We could, like you're always in our face, going, "What's next? What's next? What's next? What can I do? What can I do? Right?" Love people like that, right? You were all in and all there, right? But now you've backed off following at a distance and you've been, begun to dictate the terms by which you will follow instead of just following Jesus and Him leading you. Following at a distance. And we see what happens with that as Peter ends up warming himself by the enemy's fire. Verse 55, Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any, for many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. He was, when he would say that, he's talking about himself. It's not made with hands. He's talking about this, the temple of his body, right? <clears throat> so they're telling the truth, but not really, right? <clears throat> Wrong context. They're telling the truth, but not telling the truth, right? Not even in this respect was his other testimony consistent. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? Why is it that these men are testifying against you? but he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, are you the Christ, the the son of the blessed one? They finally just ask a straightforward question that he's going to answer. The reason he's come. And Jesus said, I am. You have to think back to Old Testament and what God declared about himself. I am that I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with clouds, with the clouds of heaven. There again, quoting an Old Testament prophecy, right? Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Some began to spit at him. And to blindfold him and to beat him with their fists and say to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And he went out onto the porch. And the servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. Again, he denied it. So there's a second time. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter. You know, Peter's probably at this point going, would you people just leave me alone, right? Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. And other places it describes because of the way he was speaking. He had that Galilean accent. So they're like, you ain't from around here, buddy. We know you're one of them, right? So, he, he, But he began, verse 71, to curse and swear. And literally in there, when you translate this, the curse, what he was saying is, may God condemn me. May, may I be damned if... I'm telling you, if I'm not telling you the truth, I don't have anything to do with him. And that's what this, he, he began to curse and swear. So that's what that refers to. That's what he would have, what would have been that curse. I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him. Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. And the word for used here for weep is not. Oh man, that's just so sad. His eyes water a little bit. This is convulsive weeping, like whole body, like just bawling. Okay. Let me ask you this question. Okay, as we get towards the end here, if we as we close, do you obviously Peter was disappointed in himself. He's upset and gone. I have done exactly what he said I would do, and I said I would not do that. I have betrayed Jesus, okay? So Peter obviously disappointed. Do you think Jesus was disappointed in Peter? Obviously Peter is, but what about Jesus? I don't think he was. And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus, okay, is Jesus knew what was going to happen. Like he even predicted it. He said, you, this is going to happen to you guys, right? <clears throat> Jesus, God the Father, allowed it to happen. But what did he also know? He knew that Peter would recover. He knew that Peter, listen to the Luke account. This is wonderful. Luke 22, I told you he said you would recover. Luke 22, Luke, Luke account, verse 31, 32 says, Simon, Simon them Simon okay notice got my time's up let's close now <clears throat> listen uh Brady put somebody up to that I know okay <clears throat> Simon Simon there he is calling them Simon again okay behold Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat there's that there's that planning going on that that conversation between the demonic force between the dark side and the good side, I'm not quoting Star Wars, okay, but it's, it's like, here here's the conversation going on, the battle over your soul, over your worship, over who you're going to glorify, here, here's it taking place, right, he's asking, ask, he's demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but what did Jesus, what, what's he say he does for him, what's the weapon he uses, but I have prayed for you, Right? He didn't say, but I took out my bag of magic dust and I sprinkled it on you and now you'll be okay. Right? Or no, I'm going to drop a nuke on the Romans and on the Sadducees and Pharisees and we'll just end this whole thing. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when once you have turned again when you're restored, Strengthen your brothers. I'm going to need you guys. You're you're going to go through this. It's going to be tough. This This was Peter's darkest night. But bright days are coming when Jesus is resurrected and restores Peter. Peter finds himself at the fire, warming himself, with the enemy. Then he was under fire, right? Aren't you you with Jesus? Aren't you part of his group? Shouldn't you be in there with him? Shouldn't you be arrested too? But then eventually restored and Peter is on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So maybe you find yourself at a distance and you need to be on fire again. I'd also throw in there, but consider your salvation and be sure you have what you really say you have because that could be the issue. You may not be following at a distance. It may be, I prayed a prayer, walked a mile, didn't really get what I thought I got. Okay? That's a whole other conversation. But I have to throw that in there. But if you're sure then are you, if, if you're, if you're sure of your salvation, then are you at the fire, are you under fire, or are you on fire? So let's pray. Father God, I just I'm asking for you to speak in a way that I can't. Um, you know hearts and minds. You know so much more that we humanly just can't see. So I ask you about the power of your Holy Spirit just to speak to people this morning. Help them to see where they are. God, would you, in the beautiful way that you do, how you are, are just sovereign over all things, how you are just in control, we're, we're asking you, would you just give us that push? Would you help us just to be on fire for you? God, I, I know that ultimately all things are up to you, and I just ask that you, you spark something in us that is just totally amazing, that help us, give us strength and boldness to go out and share our faith, to invite people to be a part of what you're doing here, to to encourage one another, to do good things for people, for your glory. May people see our lives and and go, man, only God could do could. Could cause somebody to act that way. May it be evident in us that you're there, Now, Father. So that in this moment, I just ask you do what only you can do and reveal to people, speak to them, help them in their next step, whatever that may be. And if you're here and you just need to be sure and you want to give your life to to Jesus Christ, then you can do that right where you're sitting during this time that we're praying and you may be praying various different things this morning but if you just need salvation through Jesus it's as simple as turning from yourself and your sin and turning to Jesus. Turn from being Lord of your own life to saying Jesus I want you to be Lord. I'm going to follow you whatever it may be but I know you know what's best and I thank you for dying on the cross in my place for my sin that I could have eternal life, that I could be yours, that I could be used by you. So you just do that right where you're sitting. Father, thank you for the gift of eternal life that we can have because of your son Jesus and the work he has done for us. But may we be sure and know that we are yours. May there be a fire in us that just can't, can't be extinguished by this world that we would see what's most important and that is you so thank you father for this time we pray all this in jesus name amen